This episode of YXC Underground is supported by Escape Sports in Saskatoon. If you're looking to enjoy the outdoors in Saskatoon, whether it's biking, hiking, or on the river, you should visit Escape Sports in Riversdale. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. Welcome to Episode 2, Season 4 of YXC Underground, and welcome to Restoring 71. I'm sitting on a bench in the middle of 71 acres of natural prairie grassland about 15 minutes west of Saskatoon that belongs to Katie and Aaron Souk, their three children, and their lovely puppy dog. Six years ago, Katie and her family bought this 80-acre acreage and used nine of those acres to build a home and left the remaining 71 in the hands of Mother Nature. Today, those 71 acres are now a conservation and restoration site called Restoring 71, and Katie wants you to visit this space. So this is the native patch. You can see the... The grasses have changed, there's flowers everywhere. And so essentially what happened here is back in the day it was fully cultivated at one point, but as farm equipment started to grow, it couldn't make these corners anymore. And so it would make a big swoop around. And so over the years, this native patch started to restore itself um, just by being left alone. And it's interesting here because the soil is really different than the rest of the site. Oh, sorry. So it's mostly sandy, um, but all of these species that are growing here now were not introduced by us. So they were laying dormant in the soil for decades. And so there's sages, there's asters, yellow or golden asters, uh, some white asters I've seen. We get strawberries out here, we get golden bean. Um, and it was really interesting because I'm, we're on a couple of Facebook groups and people were mentioning that, you know, golden bean, buffalo bean, they hadn't seen it since they were kids. It's been 50 years and I said, well, come on over because it's yellow with buffalo bean in the spring. And so um, there's things growing here that people miss, that people remember as part of their childhood. So we're happy to have it here. Um, and I, I Katie Souk has always felt a strong connection to nature. She grew up on a farm surrounded by wildlife and the subtle beauty of the prairies. She went on to become an environmental scientist and really wanted her children to feel that strong connection to nature. When she first saw the acreage, she knew right away this was going to be home. What I really love about Katie's story is that she is encouraging people to come visit her home, to visit Restoring 71, to learn about conservation and to simply have some space to be and to enjoy nature. You can check out their website or Facebook page, book a time to visit, and enjoy what the space has to offer. What also blows my mind about Restoring 71 is that when the Souks bought the land in 2015, their backyard consisted of 30 acres of wetlands full of wetland bird species. When you visit Restoring 71 today, that wetland has disappeared, replaced by prairie grasses and weeds. There's even an old dock that serves as a reminder of what used to be. Restoring 71 has changed from wetlands to prairie grasslands, and that's totally fine with Katie. Prairie grasslands are a fragile and vital habitat in Saskatchewan, and Katie takes great pride in the fact that she and her husband Aaron have identified 146 different species of animals at Restoring 71, not to mention all the different plant species. It's an incredible example of trusting in Mother Nature that I hope you get to experience. 
I was lucky to spend a Sunday evening in August walking the four kilometers of groomed hiking trails with Katie and Aaron to learn more about Restoring 71 and why they want the greater community to experience this space. We headed south on the trails and I started our conversation by asking Katie what it was like to see her backyard change from wetland to prairie. It was really sad at the beginning because we didn't know, is this forever? Or did we do something wrong? Or what's going to happen now to all the birds that used to live here? But then we started watching and it was, it's been a learning experience because as the the habitat for waterfowl and shorebirds started to deplete, the habitat for grassland birds started to increase significantly. And grassland birds are one of the fastest declining types of birds. And so if we're able to supply more area for grassland birds, that's amazing. I mean, I love ducks and geese, but grassland birds are cool too. So it really, it was less about a loss and grieving the wetland and more about what new opportunities does this bring for the land, for the species, and for how we interact with it. I'm trying to pick, uh, put myself in your shoes. If if I were if I were seeing that change, um, I would I would want to know sort of what why it was happening, all that kind of stuff. Did you like how did you figure that out? That in in terms of you know what it's it's going to be okay. It's going to be different, but it's going to be okay. But how how did you figure that out? Um, lots of aerial imagery. <laughs> so the oldest aerial photos we've been able to find here are from 1954. So we had a look at those old photos to see, you know, did the wetland, was it never here? Because really this, the, the size of the wetland, when it reached the extents that it reached, like into the field next door, was after the 2011 to 2014 floods that were around here. And so it really filled up. This was kind of the basin where everything came. So we thought, you know, was that just a, because everyone was draining off their land that this filled up? So we looked at the aerial photos. We found kind of 1954, 1964, 90, 98. So a few ones. And it came and it went and it came and it went. The wetland was here for a year and then gone and then here and then gone. And so the best we can tell from that aerial imagery, it's about a 13 year drought and wet cycle. And so we have a feeling it's going to come back. It's been... It fully dried up three years ago? Uh, roughly three years ago, yeah. It was receding, though, for, for a couple of years before that, though. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, it completely dried up maybe two years ago, roughly. So 11 more years, and it'll be back, I hope. <laughs> well, I hope it comes back sooner than that, because the wildlife that are here do need water sources. And so we were really lucky that we have these pits here. And actually, these pits are only here because the previous landowner made this road. And so, I mean, not advisable. Don't build roads through wetlands. But for us to come to purchase into that, it worked out well for us and for the site in itself. And when we bought the land, the wetland was so huge. I mean, it goes from our neighbor's property to the east, right into the field, which is not ours, on the west. So the only access to the back 40 acres of the site, which is where all the trails are, is Lookout Birdies Bridge, this land, land bridge that's been built. So it makes sense. And now these pits are the only, we're the only water source this year. So happy to have them deafening with frogs yeah in the spring yeah it, we would drive by with the side by side and you could hear the frogs loud over the engine it, it was the strangest thing it's just amazing how loud they can actually be until you'd look at them and then they went well, dead silent <laughs> not supposed to hear so I, i'm just so impressed at the detective work you two did to go back 70 odd years to figure figure it out 
Yeah, well, I think we can blame that on me. My day job is I'm an environmental scientist. So I do a bunch of historical detective work and figure out what was here so we could figure out how we want to manage it. Uh, and for the large, <laughs> I mean, there was aerial photos and that was it. There was not a lot of information out there. So we've really just been flying by the seat of our pants <laughs> and hoping that things work. But um, we did what we could to figure out. We even traced back the first landowner after <laughs> the railway sold it. So it's important to us. But uh, and we've also found we found projectile points here from the plains people. And so we know this was a widely used site, either traveled through or lived on for thousands upon thousands of years. And so it's exciting to be kind of part of that eventual history. But that's amazing. We can keep walking. Um, what what was happening in your guys' lives that made you say, I want, I want to move out here? You're both smiling right now, so I'm sure there's a story behind it, but what drew you here? My impulsivity primarily is what <laughs> drove us out here. So I was in the middle of doing my master's when we had a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I was working 30 hours a week. And we were on the tail end of getting my master's done, and I was excited for like some... Some, just some stagnant time to get back working full time and spend more time with the kids and recoup some financial losses that we experienced from me doing my master's. And Aaron says, let's move to the country. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's put it in our five-year plan. And by that fall, we'd purchased the land. <laughs> and so, so really it was Aaron's impulsivity that drew us out here. But I think really we, oh, what's that? wetland oh yeah <laughs> there. now there's a uh, we, we had originally put in a dock uh, along lookout birdies bridge that was actually a boat launch for a little while for a little pontoon fishing boat uh, that i would paddle around out here and now it just goes into grass and weeds basically uh, there's absolutely no water whatsoever but yeah, you can certainly see how drastically it has changed in the last few years. The fact that we're looking at a little dock right now and there is like, there's no, there's no water. That's just, uh, eerie is not the right word, but it's, it's, it's different. We keep it there for the story. And yeah. so people can see the difference that, you know, whether it's a changing climate overall or whether it's climate cycles or, or what have you just to show how much the environment can change in a really quick amount of time uh, and how it's not the end of the world I mean it's going to come back it might be different but it's it's workable I yeah. mean the amount of birds that live in these weeds and and long grasses is incredible and gophers and badgers and whatever else is in there that is loving it so at this point it's it's kind of symbolic to keep it here i could have reclaimed it when lumber was really expensive and tried to sell it for a good profit but <laughs> yeah but but no we like to keep it and we, we even have a a little note on there kind of explaining how, how it's changed how it used to be a, a large wetland and, and it's dry a dry basin at this point but yeah no it's it's still a good discussion piece anyways yeah, no kidding. <laughs> wow Okay, so you um, you were telling the story of, of you know you're you were ready to sort of okay, life is going to calm down, and all of a sudden you're you're out here. What was there, Katie? Was there something that really drew you guys to to this place? Yeah. yeah. So when we Aaron saw it on aerial imagery, kind of on the land for sale ads, and said, "Let's go take a look," and 
So we haul the four-year-old and the two-year-old out and we're driving along here. And honestly, it was a wet year. So we looked into the field and all we could see was six foot high invasive species. And I'm like, I don't think this is it, Aaron. <laughs> And he says, let's just go see the water. And so we drove in as far as we could with our little SUV through these six foot tall weeds. I'm amazed we got out, but we came in and it's like, okay, this is as far as we can go. We don't know what's out there. So we walked the rest of the way with the kids in tow on backs and on shoulders. And then we came to the opening and we saw the water and it was just this feeling of overwhelm, I guess. And it was, we need to be here. So something called us to this weed infested water zone, but whatever it was, it's been amazing. I mean, so. So like you, because a lot of people would see weed infested water and think, oh, not, not for me. But you said that there was something that just like, do you remember what was going through your mind at that point when you saw that? Well, it started with me swearing under my breath at Aaron. <laughs> And then <laughs> the weeds kind of parted and it was like, wow, yeah, this, I'm not ready to move, but we need to move out here. We need to do something with this. And then as we kind of opened that curtain of weeds, I suppose, and came out into the, to see the shoreline, thousands of shorebirds flew up in that moment. And it's like something all the different moments and teachings that had happened throughout our lives up to that point brought us here and that was that feeling i guess was the sign that this is where we need to be we've got work to do and so that's kind of that was the that's how aaron won this idea of getting to move out here <laughs> do, you, do you remember your your first thoughts aaron when you saw it i just knew i was right that that she didn't want to admit it but no it, it, in all honesty, though, yeah, it was really getting out here and seeing the the all the birds. It really was one of the big things. And I think it was a really calm night, and you could just see the reflection of the clouds in the water. And it was just, yeah, yeah it was just a, a very nice ambient feel to it. So, yeah, that's where it, where it all started anyways. And, yeah, I think then Katie was pretty much convinced. I was convinced probably before we even got out there. Uh, just to be able to get out of the city, uh, but yeah, it it was a, a kind of awakening, anyways. Wow, that's a that's a really powerful story. Um, you said something really interesting, Katie, when you said um, you get out here and you realize you've got work to do. Um, we we can keep walking, and can you tell me about um, what what that work was? We had no idea what the work was going to be, but we knew that there was something that we needed to do out here. And at first, I think I probably thought that I needed to get my kids reconnected with nature. Like there was this realization at one point that the kids to go and see a goose or a duck, we had to go to the zoo. And so... Because you lived in Saskatoon. Yeah, yeah, so we were in Saskatoon. And I grew up on a farm. And so seeing wildlife all the time was was just a given and so to not have my kids experience that or to have to go home to the farm to see wildlife was just not how we wanted them to live up and I think Aaron was the same way they lived they grew up at the cabin and so they saw all of the the shorebirds and it was just part of their part of their story but our kids didn't have that and we wanted it for them they had zero interest <laughs> but, but we wanted it for them I think they've come around now but 
so yeah, I think that's where it started. And then we started getting this question from everyone when we said, we just bought 80 acres of land. It was, what are you going to do with all that land? Yes, and I we, was just about to ask that, yes. <laughs> we'd look at each other and be like, I don't know. So we had to come up with what we're going to do with it. And so right off the hop, as soon as we moved the house, onto the land and started living in it someone came over and said hey i can hay that land for you and we kind of went i don't know if that's what we want for it yet and so we just sat on it and aaron started making trails through through the land and because he liked to go for walks and see what's what and get some exercise and so then we waited and we waited and like a lot of that can be attributed to just being lazy and busy but we waited and then we started to notice things were really growing. And so down this trail, we call it Willow Way, goes into the willows. None of the willows that are there, you can, they're about six, seven feet tall, some around 10 or 12 feet tall now. They weren't there when we bought the land six years ago. And so they weren't there. They weren't there. None of the willows that you see were here. And so they've all come up just within the last six years with zero influence from us. So this was mother nature just saying, finally, I got a break, shoot those suckers up. So that's kind of we started seeing it happening and so we figured let's just sit back and watch and see what she's got in store for us and then all of a sudden we started seeing wildflowers coming up and my four-year-old at the time brought me a harebell flower that he had picked for me and it's like well that's a special special like we shouldn't be picking those things and it was the only one we've seen at the site since but anyways that's another story <laughs> but we started seeing you know this is more than just hayland that's coming up here so let's just watch it. And so you'll see as we go through the trails, all of the, we'll point out all of the places where mother nature's done her own growing. And that's one of our approaches here is called passive restoration. It's essentially letting it grow. So that's kind of the approach we've taken in this area with a few strategic plantings, uh, just for some of the flowers that we really like or trees that we want to see growing. But for the most part, the restoration work has not been done by us. It's all been done by just Mother Nature and reducing disturbance. Wow. Passive restoration. I never heard of that before. That's yeah. fascinating. Um, okay, so we're literally at a fork in the road, so we can go right or left. So, uh, Katie, where do we go? We're going to go down Willow Way because there's more to see, I think, than... But we'll hit the grassland on our way back because okay. that's one of my favorite spots. Okay. Okay. Um, it, when when you were just watching... Uh, oh, thank you, Aaron. Um, Aaron's very good at pointing things out on the ground, whether it's holes or... Uh, or uh, that was some raccoon dropping. Is that before. raccoon poop? Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, when, when you were just... Um, when you were watching it change, like, it, it, is it hard to be patient at a time like that? Like, do you, or was it more just curiosity in terms of what was, what was going to happen, like, in those first couple years? Well... For me, and I won't speak for Aaron, for me, we found out as soon as we moved out here that we were expecting our third baby. So I was busy, <laughs> not feeling like walking four kilometers a day uh, with our little guy. And so Aaron really took the reins on what this would look like while I was busy mothering an infant. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was a lot. We were so busy then, especially with little kids too, that we would just come out once in a while and poof, all of a sudden we've got four foot trees out here. And so it was exciting, I think. I didn't find it at all like I was not being patient enough, but I'm sure Aaron might disagree. Just to clarify, I was not an absent father because I was out on the trails all the time. <laughs> what, what was it like though, Aaron, for you when you were, 
when you were creating these these trails like we, we are literally surrounded by willows right now and we like 30 feet ago or meters ago we weren't like this is crazy it was almost an, an exploration effort uh, we started making our way through i didn't know where to even put the trails to start with i really just wanted to not disturb things to the extent possible uh, and then started working our way towards the back and started finding old farm equipment that was left back there and yeah it was really just exciting to kind of explore the land and learn it and map it out a little bit yeah. wow well and i think it should be mentioned too that when aaron mowed the trails these trees weren't here and so aaron was mowing trails in wide open prairie and these have just all come up around it so it, we we make sure to like Put that disclaimer in when people see mowed trails through lush forest but but yet yeah, no the trail was here first the trees came after and so so it's uh it's been incredible to watch and these trees are hubs of activity so without these willow bushes we wouldn't have a lot of the species at risk that we've got on site and so our biggest one is the loggerhead shrike and we've had a family of four this year has been here and they've been here since we've been here. We saw them the first year that we were here and they've come to visit or nested in here for every year since. But they love that, that shrub to grassland transition zone because they can sit on a perch and then attack things on the ground. So they're great. And so we've actually joined Nature Saskatchewan Shrubs for Shrikes program to help kind of track populations and work to protect them. Uh, we haven't had to do any work other than send reports because Mother Nature's just doing it. She's doing the thing. So um, yeah, I kind of we're not really doing a lot. <laughs> We're just telling people about it. <laughs> well, I, think, I, think you're, I think you're doing something. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering too, um, Katie, like at, at what point, you know, you, you and the family, you, you move out here um, and you're sort of, you know, discovering what, what is really in your, in your backyard, your, your 80 acres, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did people just start to like, drop by and say hey I'd like I'd, I'd like to see what's going on on your land is that like did you have lots of friends and family just sort of stop by no, initially no so what there was kind of this lull moment where we just kept the land to ourselves and we watched it and we learned from it and then one day we looked out into the field to the west and there's this massive white bird and I'm thinking to myself I think that's important and so I checked it checked my my records at work and it's like yeah sure enough that's a whooping crane and there's only 800 of them in the world right now and there's one in our backyard and so we took a bunch of pictures and video and we had to make sure that's what it was before we made a big deal about it and when we confirmed that yeah that's what it was it was like the kick in the butt that we needed to actually make this a thing so to quit just talking about what we're going to do with this land and make some decisions about it and so after seeing that whooping crane we went back into Aaron's old video footage and we started looking what else has been here and so yeah loggerhead shrike we've had badgers we've had all of these different species at risk that live here or visit here or rely on the site in some way and so it was enough of the the kick in the butt to really get us moving to make it something we didn't know what we were making it but we wanted to at least make some kind of a proclamation that we were going to do something and so that's kind of how it started and so we did that and then we waited to see you know 
Does anyone care? We built a Facebook page. Aaron started really getting into photography and posting photos and people started following us and asking us questions and wanting to know more. And so... Were, were you surprised by that? Kind of. But I mean, I come from that like environmental sciences background. And so a lot of the people who were joining were people I knew in my circles. But then we started seeing other people that we didn't think they cared about species and any of that and they really liked it and what I think they loved is the photography is Aaron's photography because it's brilliant and so people could come and really feel like they're on this journey with us and that's what we hoped for and a lot of the times too I mean in the city I never saw an owl while I was eating supper like so these things that are happening here and are just normal for us people don't have that in the city and so we wanted to share that so they could feel more connected even if they can't really be here but then I'd say we kind of just lingered for a while. And then in the fall of 2018, I convinced Aaron that we should open the trails. And so I say I convinced him because he was like, ooh, I don't want people to get expectations, <laughs> which is fair. Because at the time, it was still largely an empty field that hadn't been managed. But I figured, let's just see if anyone wants to come out. Because we had a whooping crane, and that's a lifer bird for people. A bird that they only see one time in their life if they're lucky. And we had one, and so we got a share. So anyways, we opened it. We had a couple groups come out. A couple friends brought the kids out for, for a walk. But it wasn't really taking off by any means until COVID hit and when COVID hit and everything shut down and the park shut down and the conservation area shut down I looked at Aaron and I said oh thank goodness we've got the trails so that we don't feel claustrophobic and then we realized there's 250,000 people 10 minutes away who don't have this anymore and so we have it we can share so we really started advertising the trails we have trails, you can come and walk for free, just book an appointment so we can make sure that you have privacy, you don't have to worry about meeting someone on the trails, it's COVID safe, yada yada. And so we opened it, and since then we've had just short of 700 people come out since March of 2020, and mostly in the winter, which blows my mind, I don't understand it. But they come out, and so Aaron's had the fun job of keeping the trails cleared for the winter. <laughs> That poor little tractor of ours is, has had its uh, work cut out for it. But... I'm just thinking of the blizzard for last November, that would have been... Yes! <laughs> we had, well, in the willows we had five feet of snow. Five Aaron, feet of snow? So Aaron gave it his best shot, and it was like, we're going to lose the tractor. My best shot, I succeeded. I know, but it took I... you a couple tries. I had to go level by level with the snowblower, trying to get it done foot by foot. Yeah, but we did it. We got it cleared, and then it... Blizzard did about two weeks later. <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> um, you, you, Katie, you said something earlier in terms of, of um, you know, when, when you saw the whooping crane and how that's like a lifer bird for people, and then, you know, it went through your mind, oh, well, well we have to share this. But the, the thing I'm curious about is that I think for a lot of people, they would see that and think, wow, that's, that's really great. I... I want to sort of keep that to myself. I want that to, you know, I want this experience to be mine. And yet you thought the exact opposite and thought, I want to share this with 250,000 people that live just 10 minutes away. Why, why did you want to share it so badly? I'm just, I'm just curious because I, not everybody would think that. 
I think that for us here, that I think at our core, we believe that access to land and access to nature is just an inherent right and need for people. And so it's not something that's ours to dictate who gets to and who doesn't or to keep to ourselves, because I don't think that's the intent. And I think that that's part of a lot of the things that are going wrong in the world right now is this keeping for ourselves. And so this was something we could give with little to no impact other than hours and hours of errands mowing and clearing snow <laughs> that, that we could give back. And it just felt right. I mean, it was never a question of whether or not we should do it. It was a question of, okay, how are we going to do it? How, what do we need to look at for sacrifices to make this happen? And I think at the same time, I wish that as a farm kid moving out, moving to the city 20 years ago, that I'd had somewhere I could go to, to just kind of breathe and, you know, feel, connect to nature. Because, I mean, in the city, there's, the city's trying with nature, but there's just not that much. And where there is real down-to-earth, non-pavement nature, you're sharing it with uh, hundreds of other people at a time. And so this was really a place, especially when COVID hit, where we could say, we can't do much because we were impacted by COVID too with the downturns and that sort of thing. We can't do much, but we can give you some peace and quiet and some space to breathe. And so that was really our, our big motivation during COVID times. And then when things, when the playground started to open up, we thought, oh, it's going to fizzle. It's like, we're not nearly as cool as like Beaver Creek and like the river, like... But no, it kept going. And I think it really was that people could go to those parks or those trails, but they're meeting hundreds of people because everyone's now going to those because we're all drawn to nature in times of uncertainty and need. And so, but they came out here because when they book a trail site or a trail tour or the trails, they get the whole 71 acres to themselves. And so if they need to come out here for kind of, oh, there's the owl. Oh. <laughs> So this is our baby great horn owl, and we know he's a baby because we hear him screaming, which is basically the equivalent to, Mom, I'm hungry. So <laughs> he'll scream once in a while, and we can hear it at the house. That was so cool. So we usually have a family of great horned owls here each year. So we've watched at least two litters grow up from egg to adult, but I think it's the same family that comes back each year. So it's kind of cool. You're listening to episode two, season four of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson, and in this episode, we are featuring Katie Souk and Restoring 71. You can listen and follow to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also hear episodes on the website, yxeunderground.com. Be sure to follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you will see some stunning photos of Restoring 71 taken by local photographer, Rana Andres. A big thank you to Saskatoon's Escape Sports for supporting this episode. And don't forget to leave a five-star podcast review if you like what you hear.
I mentioned Rana's lovely photos that you can see on, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. She captured this moment where I, I saw this owl that you, you just heard and well, it's it's not a flattering photo of me, but it was so amazing to see that owl in flight. And I'm actually sitting on the bench where um, where I saw that owl. Um, it was it was just flying through the trees. I'm looking through the trees right now just to see if I see it. I don't see it. I see a beautiful red sunset. It's kind of smoky out right now. I'm recording this about a week before the episode comes out, and uh, it's a little smoky in the air, but it's a beautiful sunset, and it's nice and calm, and you might hear uh, the wind rustling some of the leaves in the background. It's it's just a really lovely place to be out here. Um, you heard Katie mention the term passive restoration in the first part of our conversation. It was a term I had never heard of before, and one of the many things I learned uh, during my time at Restoring 71. Education is a key part of Restoring 71 and something that holds a lot of potential in Katie's mind. She wants more students of all ages to visit from Saskatoon and learn what Restoring 71 has to offer. That's why she and Aaron built an outdoor classroom which they hope will attract more classes from the city. We were nearing the end of our hike when we came around a corner to see the outdoor classroom. I could describe it to you but I think Katie does a better job. It's a big hole in the bush <laughs> that we've mowed down and we've put in various sizes of tree stumps. Uh, each kind of station has a chair and a desk uh, with the teacher's desk at the very front, which is the big stump, so that it's a little more comfortable. <laughs> and so what we did in here too, when we mowed it down, we also um, we put in some native species because right now this is tame grass and a lot of invasive species. And so we're trying to actually use this as a restoration site in addition to an educational site. And so we opened it about a year ago yesterday, I think. And so we had big hopes and dreams. And then a lot of the school division said, and eh, no one's doing field trips. So we've had two or three groups out uh, and they loved it. And we know in any time that people have families out like jumping on these logs is the best thing ever so so it's getting used uh, anytime we do a tour we try and do a pit stop in here just to have a nice spot to sit down but it's really set up for um all age well I wouldn't say all ages but if you want to sit on a stump when you're 80 you can but um can we sit on a stump yeah have at it okay. choose your favorite the, okay. I think I'm everyone to, does okay I'm choosing this one Okay. And hopefully they're not super wobbly. But yeah, and actually this was great because a lot of the stumps were donated to us. So this was fairly low to no cost. Um, and yeah, so we're hoping this year as things open up again, then we'll have more, more groups out here um, and can use the site. So we pictured it as like, if you want to sit and do art out here, you can sit and do art out here. We've had people approach us about, they lead kind of life coaching groups and that sort of thing and so support groups like that where people who just want that connection to nature they can come out here and, and have that uh, and then also like kids we get kids out here we've had a couple high school groups um, we had a big tree planting day with groups uh, from outdoor school which was fantastic so well, yeah what, what was that like what, what, what were they planting so uh, through the one school one farm program we were partnered with Walter Murray and the outdoor school um, they actually grew wildflowers in the classroom for a few months some from spring until early spring until when we planted in June um, so they grew all the flowers themselves and then we got a bunch of trees through the tree for life program through the watersheds 
Um, so we had a pile of like 60 trees and 300 wildflowers. We also had kind of friends helping us to grow wildflowers over the course of the winter. Um, so tons of wildflowers. And then we had outdoor school come out. There was probably 30 of us all together for this massive planting day. So what we were doing was uh, filling in gaps in our eco buffer uh, and I guess an eco buffer is like a shelter belt but instead of the traditional shelter belt design with kind of three rows of all the same species in each row this is more biodiverse it's got five rows plus a flower row and so we're trying it out to see how it works because of course we want to promote biodiversity here uh, and that really aligned with outdoor school programs goals as well and so we had 30 kids come out and it was honestly my dog's best day of her life because there were so many pets like best day ever so she's in all the photos on all of the websites but so yeah it was fantastic they came out they did planting um we planted in the rain almost it was very close uh but yeah they planted everything in they learned how to plant properly they did a lot of weeding and i apologized to them over and over but their teacher said no they need to weed so we did all of that and then we came out for a tour at the end of the day and so they got to kind of see what they were contributing to uh, and it's been fantastic and we're looking at doing uh, the partnerships through one school one farm or long term so we'll be partnering again with uh, grade nine health class from walter murray and outdoor school uh, if all goes to plan and so we're thinking now of ways to keep them busy so yeah that's one of the ways we're doing it i that, that's just awesome i think that's just so so wonderful um but the fact too that it's it's not just um you know students that are coming out here because i i was eager to, eager to speak with you about the education side of things but the fact that there are just you know groups of people that want to come out and just just to get away and just to find a, a space just to be kind of like that's um you're you're it's not that you're off i don't know do you feel like you're offering a a, a service or like a, how we're offering a space yeah, a space yeah because i we're not real i mean if we're giving a tour yeah we're offering a service and aaron might disagree with me because he does a lot of work around here <laughs> that should be considered a service but i think when they're out here it's just a space to do what you want to do and we really invite people that when they're out here, use the land. I mean, don't be destructive, but use the land in the way that you need in that moment. And often people come out and they don't know what they need from the land. But this land, I don't know, she's got a way of telling you what you need and giving you what you need when you need it. Whether it's an owl flying out of the trees and giving you inspiration or the wind coming up and taking your breath away just to center you again. So I think there's there's that element. that, And that's really... I'll speak for me, not for Aaron, because he thinks I'm hokey sometimes. But I think that that's really that that connection and that almost natural spirituality that we want to teach people about. That we want to, by not teaching by like, you have to think this, more experiential learning. And so have people come out here and get to know the land. And then they'll see it for themselves, what's going on here. And all those minute details that if you're just jogging by on the trails or in town, you won't see because... There's so many distractions, but out here, the distractions are the birds and that's about it or flowers. Oh, I get distracted by flowers. So yeah. Could you have imagined six or seven years ago when you first came out here that you would, you would be having, you know, 30 kids come out here and, and experience this space? No, 
And if you had asked like teenager us if we would be this dedicated to birds and flowers, we'd have laughed at you. Like this was not a life plan for us. But it we it came like all the pieces. People say, "How did you? What made you want to do this?" And we keep saying, "We don't know. It it was just all of these minute situations and events and that just brought us all to this. And and it feels right, so we're doing it. <laughs> so." Yeah, but yeah, the kid, we had no idea people would be this interested. And we still find ourselves being really self-conscious about the space because we don't want to get people's hopes up too much. Like, we have a group coming out in the next couple of weeks here and they told me that a greenhouse owner is coming and he wants to see the land. And that's like, oh my gosh, no, like that's so terrifying. There's <laughs> nothing done here is done by like greenhouse standards. <laughs> and, but then it's like, this is just a different way. It's a different way of growing and a different way of experiencing nature and flowers and, and the land. And so, but we have to remind ourselves that it is what it is. I mean, we're not, we're not advertising views and vistas and, and perfect pristine prairie. But you still get a lot out of a lot of weeds and flatness and and you just have to know where to look. And so when we do kind of that education piece, if I'm doing a guided tour, I'm teaching you where to look so that you can enjoy nature everywhere you are, whether it's in your backyard, on your balcony or in a big open space like this. And so that's kind of how we approach it. But the, the fact that you are um, that was a wonderful answer, oh, by the way, good. that was really nice. Like I just pulled that out. And no, <laughs> that was really great. Um, where would you, uh, well, I guess maybe not where, but what, what would you like to see happen here in the next, say, five, six, seven years? Have you, do you allow yourself to think that far ahead? Yes, because what we've learned from restoration is that it is an incredibly slow process when you're trying to do it actively. So we talked about passive restoration, which is the letting it grow, which happens really fast, and it's fantastic. But the act of restoration, the strategic disturbance, trying to grow from seed, that takes so many years. And so luckily we learned really early uh, that once you put a seed into the ground, you're waiting probably three years before you ever see a bloom. And so, and oftentimes once a seed's in the ground, it's comfy there and it's not going to start germinating and sprouting until it's good and ready, until those conditions are perfect. And so... One thing that I love doing, and Erin thinks I'm crazy, is I will just throw seed like everywhere because it's going to be so exciting when we actually get rain and it starts popping up everywhere. Like, what a fantastic surprise for me! Um, so, <laughs> so skipping through the grasses, throwing it out. To them. Yes, whimsical, Erin, whimsical. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've got grass seed in here and you can see there's nothing native growing, like not a thing. And it's just that the conditions aren't right. And I don't know if it's the soil acidity. I don't know if it's lack of rain. I don't know if the tame grasses are just too um, competitive right now, but eventually they'll come and seeds can stay in the ground for years and years before they decide it's their time to shine. And so we put as much in as we can and we look forward to rainy years when it's just going to be so colorful here but um yeah and then parts of it too trial and error i made a post on our facebook page today about trial and error because we thought we had a system that worked and that was basically we apply disturbance by mowing and then it puts pressure on the tame grasses and the invasive species so that the native grasses and flowers can come up. And in every other part on the site that we've done, 
that works beautifully, except in this spot and out at our native patch. And we'll take you to the native patch right away because it's my favorite spot. Uh, but in those two spots, what we've seen this year is even the native or the tame grasses, so the, the grasses that were planted by farmers as part of hayland, uh, they're, not come, they're not as strong this year as they used to be. And we're seeing more invasive species coming in. So something about this disturbance or the timing of this disturbance backfired greatly on us. And so there's still hope because there's still seed in the ground, but we might have to do more disturbance than we planned on, which we could look at as a setback or a learning opportunity. So we're going with learning opportunity because that's less sad. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But yes, we're looking at uh, a lot of people, you know, they decide they're going to restore some land. And so they get big equipment and a grant from the government, which we don't get grants from the government because we're not agricultural producers. But they do it, they cultivate everything in, they put all the seed in and it grows and it's beautiful and they've got monitoring. and But we can't do that out here. So we have to go 10 foot plot by 10 foot plot because it has to be manageable for us and our itty bitty tractors. So which Aaron will argue is very masculine and manly and, <laughs> and fantastic. So, um, so yeah, everything takes longer out here, but that's part of the fun. I think like we wouldn't learn as much if we just kind of clear cut and put in grass, native grasses. So it's part of the fun. You say you're not the one on the tractor for hours and hours on end though. <laughs> good support support wife um, so yeah I mean the way we're doing it now creates more opportunity for learning and we can bring people along on the journey for longer too I think it's not I mean if you just clear cut and it grows and it's perfect where's the fun in that like there's no trial and tribulation and you don't get to bring people out and say look at how much it's changed just in this little time and so I think that's um it requires patience and resilience and a lot of, you know, strategy, but it's so worth it because we're going to be here till we retire, it, probably a lot longer than that. So this will be like our lifelong legacy, I think. No, no pressure, Aaron. Lifelong legacy. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a, I think that's kind of a nice way to, to wrap it up, your lifelong legacy. Um, Thank you so much to both of you. Um, I know, Katie, we, we've been talking on and off for a, a while now through through Twitter, and, and I, I'm so, I feel very lucky to to be out here with you guys on, on just like the most beautiful of, of evenings. And, and our friend Ron is here, and she's taking lovely photos, and it's just a really, really lovely night. So um, I, I know we're going to keep walking the trails, but I, I um, th this is just lovely speaking with you both. So th thank you so much. Oh no, we're, we're certainly happy to have you. It's uh, yeah, it, it's it's nice to you can get a few other perspectives out here too, and and always nice to hear appreciation as well because uh, it's it is a lot of work, especially on the tractor. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Thanks so much for coming out. It was great having you out here, and yeah, don't be a stranger. We have trail times available, so <laughs> I'll come back. I promise. Perfect. There's owls to see. Yes. <laughs> My thanks to Katie Souk, along with her husband Aaron, for sharing their story on the podcast and being such wonderful guides. If you want to learn more about Restoring 71, you can find it on Facebook or at restoring71.home.blog.
This has been episode two, season four of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can listen and follow YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also listen to every single episode over at yxeunderground.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and that's where you will see some lovely photos of Katie and Aaron and of Restoring 71 taken by my friend and wonderful photographer, Rana Andres. Thank you to Danger Dynamite for creating the YXE Underground website, and a big thank you to Marcus Story and the entire team at Escape Sports for supporting this episode. I really love how Escape Sports connects people in Saskatoon to nature in so many different ways, and if you're looking for hiking, camping, or water sport gear, or if you want to get ready for for winter sports because winter's coming, uh, you should check out Escape Sports. It's located on 19th Street West across from the old Farmer's Market site. And a big thank you again to Marcus and his team for supporting the podcast. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that this interview was recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.